Did you have a good weekend? Uh, I was uh, actually yes, I did. I, I I took a car out for a test drive on Saturday, and I was very impressed with it. And now it's going to cost me a lot of money in the near future. Uh oh, what'd you get? I didn't get anything. What are you thinking about getting? The new Jaguar F Type. Ooh, why a Jag? This one is a new design. It is well, it's it's just it's just a cool car. Wifey wants to get me a, a Mini. No, well, actually, no. I take that back. Minis are pretty good cars. I. Uh, have have driven them a number of times, and I really like them. They're probably a little bit more expensive than they should be, but I I, I do like them. They are made by BMW. I'm thinking Canadian flag red. Yeah. Uh, The interesting thing about Mini is that you can get all kinds of different uh, paint schemes to go with them. The views expressed on Geeks and Beats are those of the participants alone and do not necessarily reflect the views of their employers. You forgot to do that last time, so I had to do that in the show notes. Ah, no. I edited in as an ADR. Oh. There you go. Yes. What's that? Additional dialogue recording. Oh, okay. See, you're a TV guy. We don't do that in radio. We just call them... um, Screw-ups? We call them screw-ups or punch-ins. From the headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, simulcast on shortwave radio and Citizens Band 14, this is the world's most popular podcast with Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth. Featuring musical guest, Sting. A first in music history, Google Glass on stage gives the fan a rock star point of view. It only took 18 years, but Alanis Morissette has a new jagged little pill to swallow in the form of a viral video correction. We'll tell you about the internet force behind a scrap Taylor Swift contest and the 39-year-old sad sack who will never get to smell Taylor's hair. The collapse of file sharing will graph the decline of the stolen song and the rise of streaming music apps. Plus, our youngest ever co-producer, an update on our crappiest cans contest, and how you can watch us do the show live. You're going to have to wear pants. No, I'm not. (laughs) And now, Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth. Using Google Glass to give a performer's view of a gig. You talked about doing this, and the band Wallpaper has done it. Yeah, I had a chance late last month to try out Google Glass when I visited the offices of Vice Magazine. And I, I too, have since tried it. And what do you think? Now, you went from being the guy who said, this is terrible, we shouldn't have this, this is the devil's glasses, to I want a pair, and I went the exact opposite. I was entirely underwhelmed. Really? Yes. First of all, it's in the upper right corner of your vision. You don't really see it unless you're looking for it. And my eyeballs aren't designed to look up in that corner for that long. So it almost gave me a bit of a headache. And the while the screen itself has a good resolution, it's it sort of disappeared off to the corner. I know it wasn't fit for me, but um, I, I didn't really see a practical everyday use for it. I'm not talking about practical everyday uses. I'm talking about for cool specialized uses. And I think we've just determined something that your eyes are set too far apart. <laughs> what does that say? I don't know. It is a bit of a stretch in your eyeballs because you have to look up and to the right uh, to see what you're seeing. But again, I wasn't fitted for them properly either. But I could see how under certain specialized circumstances, these things would be pretty cool, which is what this band Wallpaper did. They were playing on the Warp Tour and their singer uh, put on a pair of Google Glass. Let's make history. And what you see is basically what you see from his eyes looking out from the stage over the audience. I thought it was pretty cool. 
well, wait a minute. You said he put on a pair of Google Glass. I know. Grammatically speaking, we've got to figure this out. I don't know why they don't call them Google Glasses. Because mm-hmm. that's what they are. Well, they're not. No, it's not because you only have one one it's a little brick like piece of glass where the screen is reflected onto so you can see it yeah so technically it is just a single piece of glass but now we've got all of this semantic issue to deal with yeah we we can't seem to get the plural and the singular to agree with each other anyway the thing is cool um and 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 i am waiting and it's it has to have happened but because i don't do these things uh i haven't seen it yet but I can just imagine the point of view porn applications. Anyway, that we don't have to, we don't have to say anything else. I'm just saying that that you know, and, and you understand as well as I do that when it comes to technology, the porn industry tends to be on the bleeding edge of the whole thing. You know what? That was the case up until the advent of the smartphone. We were expecting pornography to be a big mobile experience. Why? I don't know. I don't know why you'd want to be mobile in consuming that kind of content. But having said that, both Apple and to a lesser degree, Google, have shut the porn industry by and large out of portable mobile porn. So while we often talk about how pornography pushed uh, VHS to the forefront and and technologies prior to that as well, uh, 8mm film and all that kind of stuff, uh, we sort of skipped a a generation with the technology. And I wouldn't be surprised if Google Glass, in light of the NSA prism snooping world, would uh, be able to shut down that kind of production so that it's not associated with it. Okay, first of all, you're not viewing your porn right because you can actually do it just fine on a smartphone or a tablet. I don't want to be standing on public transit next to a guy consuming adult content. No, absolutely not. That's that's really creepy. It's kind of like the people that go to the airport and buy a copy of Hustler before they get on the plane. <laughs> no, uh, that, that's not what I'm talking about. Um, anyway... Anyway, we don't see public consumption of porn on mobile devices. Thank goodness. But I can guarantee you there's lots of private stuff. I mean, if you're a (laughs) 14-year-old, you just crack open that browser and there you go. Meantime, you think that uh, this is sort of a a neat new way to show off um, the perspective of the musician to the audience. He goes into the audience. Yeah. it's it's uh, The song is, is called Last Call. And again, if you've ever wanted to know what it's like to be a performer on stage... See what the performer sees. It's it's you know not uh, you know one of these GoPro cameras or, or something that's you know it's almost point of view. You're looking out essentially from the dude's eyes, which um, I find rather fascinating. Now, this is as far as we know, as far as I, I've ever seen. This is the first time a band has ever done anything like this. So uh, it's 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 very primitive in, in the use of the technology for the art form. But it's going to be really interesting to see what some clever people can do with this if you like the track the album is ricky reed is real and it dropped yesterday july 23rd on epic records there you go check them out wallpaper meantime i it's only taken what 18 years for alanis morissette's ironic to finally become ironic it's like a You know, if you look at the lyrics of 
Alanis Morissette's Ironic from Jagged Little Pill. Mm -hmm. She has no concept, almost no concept, of... Of the definition of ironic? Exactly. She's talking about unfortunate coincidences and a bunch of other things. And there's really, out of all the mentions of of, of irony that she cites, I think I read someplace only 2.5 of them are correct. <laughs> Half ironic? Well, yeah. You have to go to the site to understand why. She you know, almost got it right, but it's not quite the appropriate application for that. So a couple of sisters have rewritten the song. Uh, adding in extra lines to to basically, you know, correct her grammar. Considering it took 18 years, you think they would have come up with better lyrics. I think what they were doing is they were waiting 18 years for sisters Rachel and Eliza Hurwitz uh, to go out of their Dora the Explorer phase. <laughs> exactly. Because yeah. actually, Rachel looks a lot like Alanis Morissette in this video. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But uh, they had to have been infants at the time the song first came out. Well, sure, they look about, what, 18, 19? Precisely. Yeah, so... You, you would think they would have come up with better lyrics. It's not exactly well executed. I, listen, I think it's it was designed... I don't think it was designed as a, as a proper pop song. I think it was designed as something that could go viral. Mission accomplished. Speaking of someone who knows how to put out a proper pop song, Taylor Swift, you've got to fun with radio stations. <laughs> yeah, now, okay, I have... Uh, I have run radio stations and one of the things a program director has to do, this is the way I describe what a program director's job is. Everything that comes out of the speakers is your fault. <laughs> yes. You don't get credit for any of it. No, you don't. You, you are the, you are the policeman and you're the guy that's supposed to keep everything on, on the rails. And one of the things that comes out of the speakers are the contests that your radio station executes. And I have been in charge or supervised those in charge of a number of contests over the years. And I can tell you that unless you're really, really, really careful, things can go south very quickly, which is what happened to this station in Boston. Kiss 108. Yeah. They had this contest where you got a chance to meet Taylor Swift. Which in and to itself is a bad idea. She might end up dating you. Yeah, and then writing a song about you after, after she breaks, breaks up. We were never, ever, ever actually together. Sweetie, remember, 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 smoking crack together. We ate chalk and did basalt and had sex with the tree. Um, we have never, ever, ever done any of that together. It was, are you Taylor Swift's biggest fan? And, and a number of people posted, you know, reasons why they're Taylor Swift's biggest fan and how he, he, she, they should get a chance to, 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 to meet her. Well, the, the, the good people at 4chan, <clears throat> the people that scare the crap out of me because I never want to get on the wrong side of them. 4chan being this anonymous-like group uh, on a chat room called 4chan where people can say, hey, I got an idea, let's do this, and then they all pile on. Yeah, it tends to be somewhat malevolent. Mm. Uh, and what they did was they found this guy named Charles <laughs> who uh, who posted this thing, say that he wants to smell her hair. <laughs> yes, the, the, the quote is, 
Uh, my creepy 39-year-old friend named Charles would like to crush all those girls' dreams and then sniff Taylor Swift's hair, because he's into that, <laughs> by winning this contest instead. He was apparently 25th place out of 3,000 participants until this guy anonymously posted this to 4chan. And a guess who's now in the lead to be Taylor Swift's biggest fan and get to meet her and, I suppose, sniff her hair. Now, here's the problem. See, what the, the radio station's problem was that they turned over voting to their fan base and that you know once you, you you've set it free and you've got no control over it and there are rules and regulations that govern these contests some are, would be at the provincial or the state level some would be at the federal level and you have to have if, if you go to any radio station website and you look at their contest page you'll see that there's a rules and regulation thing that goes on forever because you got to cover your ass over a variety of things and i speak from from real experience on this because i was involved in a contest uh, where a loser sued for losing. Did he get away with it? <sighs> yeah. Did he win? We had to make accommodations. Uh, and what was the accommodation? Uh, well, I, I, or is this a legal thing you can't talk about? Uh, it's a legal thing. I can't talk about it, but but uh, <laughs> he, he sued, and then we had to deal with it, and then that money or whatever came out of my budget, and it was, it was, you know, it was a one in 50 chance of something going wrong. And it went wrong, and you know we, we we were screwed. So here, I would love to see, and and I think we should should actually go to this uh, radio station website. I, I have. Oh, did you look at their rules and regulations? Yes, because here's what's happened on 4chan. They posted a link to the contest, and now if you go to that link, it reads: "Disappointingly, we have determined that the integrity of the Taylor Swift's biggest fan contest has been compromised. In accordance with our contest rules." Effective immediately, the contest has been terminated. We apologize to all of our loyal listeners who have participated. Oh, okay. Sad trombone. Okay, so, see, they, you know, some people were, were saying, well, they can just rig the results. Well, you can't do that because that's against rules and regulations on the state and federal level. We may have some um, vote rigging to deal with ourselves later on in the Geeks and Beats update, I have to tell you. Oh, all right. But anyway, so the radio station had no other choice, I guess, than to, to cancel it, which I guess is the smart thing to do because it has been – the integrity of the contest has been violated. I, I can guarantee you that they'll never, ever do any kind of internet voting on something like this ever again. And it would – all anybody who does any kind of internet voting for a contest should be very concerned. Do you know why I know that firsthand? No. I do the weekly Pick My Tie Tuesdays on Twitter using the Seesaw app. I post three ties, and I let the internet decide what I'm going to wear. Anytime I include a bow tie, guaranteed 100% of the votes. Yeah, see, see. And, and, and I look like a total idiot wearing a bow tie. Some people can pull it off. I cannot. No, neither can I. And everybody knows it, and I think they deliberately vote. Hey, let's, let's make Hainsworth look like an idiot on national TV today. Yeah, I listen. <laughs> That's the internet. Thanks a lot. Cut the cord and go to geeksandbeats.com anytime. You'll get the latest episode and links to the stories the boys are talking about. Geeksandbeats.com. Also available on 8-track and cassette. File sharing. Still a thing for the music industry. Well, maybe. Um, you know, I've had some discussions about this over the past week. Let's start with Norway. Norway is, and, and the rest of Scandinavia embrace Spotify in a really big way. But Norway especially, they have seen the number of pirated copies drop dramatically. I think it's 
since uh, 2008 because legal, convenient downloads have been made available. Spotify is a big part of it when it comes to music. Music dropped a... Oh man, I'm looking at a graph here. It's almost just, you know, it's, it's, it's a, I would want to ski down that slope because you'd, you'd, you'd kill yourself. Yeah. In 2008, 1.2 billion uh, tracks were copied. And then by 2012, it's less than 300 million. The other one was movies and, and television. Movies never breached the 250 million download mark. And uh, we had in uh, 2011 television pirated episodes that's all game of thrones uh, that, that all peaked and now we've declined since then so i think you hit on the most important point convenience people will pay for something if it's inexpensive and if the alternative is inconvenient it's 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 a pain in the ass to steal movies music and tv it is and this is where i had this argument with this guy in facebook and he was saying that well you know saying that uh uh, it's inconvenient is, is ridiculous. All you have to do is download this particular program and it's easy. I mean, that's, that's, that's crazy. And I said, well, look at, yeah, and jump through 16 hoops once you've downloaded that app. There's the tagging, there's the potential for viruses, incomplete files. Uh, you get the wrong file, you get bad resolution. I mean, you know, these are, you can do it fine with a, with a simple right click with the right program. You can do it. It's, 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 if you want to call that convenience, fine. But then there's still the whole matter of, of, of all those other things. Plus, you got to organize things into playlists and you got to make sure that it's compatible in terms of format and all the rest of it. And it's just, no, I've given, I, you know, I haven't, I can honestly say that I haven't downloaded anything illegally. It's been at least 10 years because it's just too much trouble for me. I, I know, know a guy that, you know, he's a big, big BitTorrent guy. So and he has no trouble doing TV and movies and, and, and music. You've got to devote a certain percentage of your life to stealing this kind of content. Yeah, and then it's only polite to seed some stuff back to these sites that you've already stolen because you take, you must give. Of course, nobody in the content creation business benefits from this. So I, you know, I've 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 done a complete three sixty or one eighty on this, and and you know, iTunes great, on demand streaming great. Um. Netflix, great. Yeah, in the, in the first year that iTunes existed, I bought more music in the first year that iTunes existed than uh, in the previous five years purchasing compact discs. Yeah. The, the, the thing is, is that the, the phrase we, we keep using is stealing. And there's an argument to be made that piracy and stealing are two very different things. If I steal your car, there's a blank spot in your driveway where your car used to sit. If you're stealing music, movies, or television, that's a different thing because you're duplicating that content. And in many cases, it's easy to argue that it's content that you otherwise wouldn't have paid for, and therefore you're not putting the content creator out of pocket. Interesting sidebar, though, is that apparently people who steal stuff apparently buy more stuff than those who don't steal stuff. Yeah, depending on, on the study you read. That, that's true. 30% more music than people who don't. Yeah, and well, that's what happened with me. See, I, what I used Napster for, to be honest, was uh, a sampling buffet. I would look for stuff that I thought I might like, and if I really liked it, I would go out and buy it, uh, which is exactly what we have now with streaming music services. There's, you know, for 10 bucks a month, 10 bucks a month, which is less than the, which is, you know, the price of a CD, one single CD, you can sample, you know, tens of millions of songs. If you like it, well, keep on paying your subscription and you'll keep on having access to that music. Or if you really want to possess it, just buy it for 99 cents or $1.29 or whatever the cost is. It's just so much easier. 
and you know, at least you're putting money back into the system. Rolling Stone stepped in it, as you reported. Where do you stand on the Boston bomber cover? I have no problem with the Boston bomber cover for the very big reason that the New York Times put the same photo on its cover. I saw the picture and I thought, okay, Rolling Stone's going to have a problem with this. Not because I had any problem with that picture being on the cover. I don't. It was a selfie that Sarnev himself had taken, and it had been distributed widely. It was it was his Facebook photo. And, you know, people think, oh, my God, you're glamorizing this. You made them all look pretty and like a rock star and all the rest of it. Says, no, 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 no. You're, you're subjecting Rolling Stone to two different standards. First of all, if you look at the article, if you actually read the article, it's very, very good. Secondly, like we said, this picture has been used by other media outlets around the world. It was a picture he took of himself from his Facebook page, and that's where we source a lot of the stuff these days. Where people have a problem was that they don't believe that Rolling Stone should have the same journalistic privileges as the New York Times because they tend to be a more of a popular culture magazine, even though they've done all kinds of in-depth, hard reporting over the last you know 40 years. Um, the pro I guess people think that, that it's inappropriate because this is also a magazine that would put Justin Bieber on the cover. You know what I think it is? I think it's that Sarnev is simply too pretty. If this guy looked like the Unabomber, no one would have a problem with him, with Rolling Stone putting a Facebook photo of the Unabomber on the cover as they did at the New York Times above the fold. Yeah, I, I, I agree. The other thing is that it is so easy for people to express outrage these days. <laughs> Just because you're offended doesn't mean you're right. Yes, right. And everything, and there was, um, Elizabeth Renzetti wrote something in the Globe and Mail on Saturday that I thought was great. When everything is outrageous, nothing is. Time for Ask Alan Anything. Think about that. Hi, this is Scott Coates, formerly of Bangkok, calling you from Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. I made my friend Darren Scott the co-producer uh, for episode 14. I was in Calgary, Canada a couple weeks ago. We were having lobster on his deck in the backyard and somehow got talking about the traveling Wilburys. So I have a couple parts to my question for you, Alan. First, how did these guys even decide to get together and be the traveling Wilburys? Number two, where did the name traveling Wilburys come from? And three, their first CD was Volume 1. Their second CD, Volume 3, what happened to Volume 2? Thanks very much. Great podcast, and I look forward to hearing uh, your answers. The Traveling Wilburys came together as a result of a friendship between Jeff Lynne of the Electric Light Orchestra and uh, George Harrison. And they thought, you know, we have similar mindsets when it comes to music. We should put together a, a band. They had been working together, and one of the things, one of the little code words they had was a Wilbury, which is when they made a slight mistake in a mix, they would just bury it. And it became this sort of uh, inside joke. Oh, that's, uh, you hit a bum nut. Ah, it's a Wilbury. We'll just bury it in the mix. Um, they thought, well, maybe we should get to get, get together a, a band. Well, who would we put in the band? Well, so they called up Bob Dylan, and, and you know, George Harrison calls Bob Dylan. They have a long relationship he was in. Uh, they got in Tom Petty was another friend and then uh, Roy Orbison showed up so uh, they, they they recorded most everything in uh, I think it was Dave Stewart of the Eurythmics uh, garden shed or well as much as he had a shed <laughs> his, his tool shed his tool shed they needed a name for the band so they went back to this um, this this little code word that Harrison and Lynn had 
and they just stuck traveling before it. So it became traveling Wilburys. It's a bit of an inside joke. They recorded uh, volume one. They, as, as a, an, another inside joke, they skipped volume two, which I love. Yeah. And they called the second album volume three. And the, the band was always, I think we've established here that the band has always had this, you know, dry sense of humor to the point where they got uh, Michael Palin to write the liner notes for volume one and then Eric Idle to write the vol- the liner notes for volume three. So, you know, it was just a big blar for, for Lynn and Harrison and they got their friends involved and ended up with a couple of platinum albums. Sounds like a bunch of rich musicians thumbing their noses at the industry and just having a gas. Yeah, well, when, when you got a Dylan and a Beatle as part of your, your group, uh, you can do whatever you want. And then Roy Orbison just sort of wandered into this thing? Well, they got together, from what I remember Harrison saying, is that um, they were, you know, why don't we call Roy Orbison? They were all too scared to call him because he was such a, you know, a legend in their mind. But mm-hmm. he said, yeah, sure, I'll show up. And he, he did it and sang songs and was part of the, the one of their, their biggest hits. He seemed to be the, the center of attention, too. Like I, it, I got the impression that it was his band. You did, because he was the one singing the big hit, and uh, I've seen studio footage of them, and, and they really gave him space and deference. London, Bangkok, New York, Cincinnati, from the worldwide headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine. This is a GNB News Update. We have a pair of co-producers for episode 19. Ah, nice. Thank you. Very much so. And uh, our first co-producer, two-week-old William Philip Loftus, born July 6th in uh, England, is now our youngest ever co-producer. Uh, okay. Well, save this, because years from now... You'll be able to listen back and think, my God, I was famous before I even knew it. His father, Philip Loftus, uh, has uh, written in saying that I believe it's never too early in life to have a dubious credit on your resume. Now, this is true. I mean, it, this may help him get into the proper school. Mm-hmm. Uh, he and his wife uh, listen to the podcast uh, on the way into work in the morning. Also, we have co-producer Jason Sanguin. Jason, thank you very much. So anybody who wants to uh, drop a 25 bucks or whatever... Do we have a, do we have, is it a graduated? I don't even know. You're the, you're the accountant, the treasurer. It is uh, just like a real Hollywood deal. All you need to do to brag about being a co-producer is open your wallet. You donate 25 bucks to the big show. We make you a co-producer on the next episode. You don't actually have to do any work. You get to hear your name on the world's most popular podcast. You can impress your friends. And if you really want to, you can put it on a resume and we'll back you up. Okay, good. Meantime, uh, we've got an update on the Geeks and Beats contest for the Wicked Audio Solus headphones. Oh, yeah. Hang on. Let me open this. Now, have you been to the geeksandbeats.com slash contest where we've got uh, three uh, entrants already? Uh, and next week, we're, we're giving away the, the cans. And I have a feeling that uh, Jesse G, who uh, his Twitter handle is Grab a Sandwich, uh, who tweeted uh, that his dad still has these ancient pair of headphones. And he posted a picture of him uh, with his father's headphones when he was you know, probably 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is currently in the lead with 60% of the vote, even though, quite frankly, I think GNB listener Mark Wilson has the crappier headphones. Uh, this is the guy who's got uh, the cast-offs that his daughter threw in the garbage seven years ago. Yeah, but, I, but then there's Mark Matt McGowan's. I mean, those are really awful, those earbuds. Not only are they awful, but only one of them works anymore. Yeah. But he's asked us to take pity on him 
But the thing is, is that if you go to geeksandbeats.com slash contest and vote, you've got two out of three respondents saying that Jesse G's father's ancient pair needs an upgrade. So either we're all very uh, concerned about Jesse, uh, about Jesse G's father, uh, or somebody's hitting the vote button more than once. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I think 4chan's involved here. Could be 4chan. Yeah. Uh, so if you go to geeksandbeats.com slash contest, you can see the three contestants uh, contestants in the running. Uh, vote. Let us know what you think. Because, uh, frankly, I think Mark Wilson deserves to win. I, I think so, too. Particularly because he fished them out of the garbage. Yeah. Geeks and Beats update uh, from Clint Kirby on Twitter, who had uh, said, hey, I'm not sure if this is because of a U.S.-Canada thing within the app, uh, but uh, you guys don't have any reviews on iTunes uh, for the podcast. And he's right. We have a whole ton of really positive, glowing reviews on iTunes in Canada for the show, but nobody in the U.S. has uh, actually bothered to put the time into writing. What's the matter with you people? Come on. Is that the attitude you want to take towards this? Wow. That's a little pushy. Wow. We're We're Canadian, after all. Wow, that's true, but I'm speaking American. (laughs) <laughs> okay, good point. If you are an American listener, uh, please go to uh, the uh, iTunes page and uh, vote and uh, write in a review and then screenshot it. Send it to us. We want to be able to talk about you. Hmm. We also, uh, this week, uh, I posted uh, an article uh, to the uh, Twitter feed uh, about uh, Mashable's five design tips to boost blog conversions, which brings us to the fact that uh, during hiatus, we will not be sitting on our batoks. No. Uh, because you're working on a website. We're going to rebuild it. We are going to turn the website into something that Rolling Stone magazine will have no choice but to sue us over. <laughs> oh, good. So keep those donations coming in, kids, because we'll need it for a legal fund. <laughs> exactly. We're launching a news website for September 3rd. Yeah. Well, that's not the only thing we're launching as well. I'm hoping that this will, this will work out really well, because it sounds like a fun idea. You're familiar with Google Hangouts. Yeah. The idea that uh, you and I are going to uh, actually show people how we make the sausages. Can we come up with a different analogy, please? Really? You don't like sausages? I don't, uh, no, it's just, yeah. But anyway, what we'll do is we'll give you a behind-the-scenes peek at uh, the technology that goes into this thing. How's that? And so that'll be um, the Sunday, September 1st. At 7 p.m. Eastern Time, we are going to open up the cameras, and you can go uh, to our website and get more information about this by going to geeksandbeats.com. Yeah. Sign up for the newsletter so that we can make sure that you get a reminder email about it so you you know to watch us. Uh, And participate. That's the neat thing about it is you can actually get involved even if you don't have a webcam. This is uh, the Sunday in the middle of a long weekend, so it's a good place to beta test this. Yes. Because maybe we'll do more if it works. Yeah, okay. You don't sound so thrilled. No, 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 no. I'm I'm perfectly fine with this. You're gonna you're gonna have to comb your hair. Well, I know. Uh, this see, I'll be fine. I've you know I got a very nice studio here in the uh, under the stairs. <laughs> it's like you know troll work studios. Um, yeah, it'll be fine. I just have to do something with the lighting in here a little bit. Yes, we'll 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 get together over the weekend or something and figure that out. Okay. Meantime, uh, you've uh, tweeted a bulletproof iPad case, uh, courtesy of the Daily Mail, which we again and again have learned why we call it the Daily Fail. This is not a bulletproof iPad case unless the iPad's being shot from behind. Yeah, because it only covers one half of... Well, you could hold it up like a shield, I guess. Yeah, what's going on in your world where you need a bulletproof iPad case? I don't know. I'm thinking that maybe what you don't... uh, You don't use it as a bulletproof... uh, Bulletproof protection... Uh, you use it as a weapon. 
you know, <laughs> if, if you're Kanye West and you're getting off the plane at LAX and you want to, you know, take a round out of a paparazzi, you just whack him one of the, with one of these. Yeah, then, then that means you can't have the mini. You have to have the full thing. You have to have the full thing. That's right. Exactly. But it's, it's, it's kind of cool. I mean, it'll stop a 357 Magnum. <laughs> Are you feeling lucky, punk? <laughs> well, exactly. <laughs> Kelvin and Hobbes, I didn't know this. There's going to be a documentary? Well, they're looking for the creator of Kelvin and Hobbes. That was one of the smartest comic strips in the history of comic mm-hmm. strips. It was so, so good. And um, Bill Waterston, uh, was it Waterston or Waterson? Waterson. Yeah. He uh, abruptly quit. He just stopped. And he's gone into, into hiding in a, I think it's a place in Ohio. And people have been trying to locate him for, for many, many years. And this documentary is all about people trying to track him down. After 10 years, uh, the strip ended in 1995. The documentary will feature commentary from prominent names in animation, including uh, Burke uh, Breathed. Is it Breathed or Breathed from Bloom County? Um, you know what? I think it's Berkeley Breathed, I think. Foxtrot's Bill Amend and Seth Green from Robot Chicken and Family Guy. They're all part of it. It took six years to complete. T- 2,000 Kickstarter backers donated over 120 grand. Yeah, I, I'm looking forward to this. I have, I got for Christmas a number of years ago, the big bound, leather bound. Oh, I got it too. Oh, you know, and it's just so much. It was such a good strip. Mm-hmm. It was so good. We're still a little bit fuzzy as to why he stopped doing this strip in, in 1995, I had heard that, you know, his cat died. So there was no more uh, Hobbs. And, and he just lost all... All will to do it? I mean, I don't know if that's true or not. I had, uh, shortly after he had uh, stepped down from that role, a whole bunch of other comic strips prop came up that sort of looked a, a little bit like it. You know what I'm talking about? Same thing that happened with uh, Burt Breathed. Yeah, I was a huge... Bloom County fan. Uh, in my office uh, upstairs, I have a an Opus doll. Mm-hmm. I have a Bill the Cat doll. Mm-hmm. I'm just just a huge was just a huge fan of that. That's Bloom County, by the way. But Bloom County, yeah. And then there was uh, uh, the the follow up, which is called Outland, yes. which uh, didn't last. Uh, I don't even know where it is. So the problem here, okay, in Toronto, we have the world's worst selection of weekend comics. They're just terrible i haven't seen a weekend comics in 15 years uh it, it it's the toronto star sucks the globe uh, the global mail doesn't have any <laughs> they're way too serious for that the national post doesn't have anything the toronto sun is just terrible just terrible and and you go to some of the uh the the newspapers in the u.s and they have like on a daily basis they'll have like two and sometimes three pages filled with strips and and for whatever reason we don't have it here in in, in, in in Toronto, anyway. It's terrible. My favorite Calvin and Hobbes strip, he's clearly in a bad mood, reads, I wish I was dead. And then the frame pauses. And then the third frame is, no, I wish everyone else was dead. <laughs> Catch all new episodes of Geeks and Beats Wednesdays on iTunes. And watch for Geeks and Beats magazine on a newsstand near you. To be part of next week's show, call area code 323-319-NERD. Follow the stories on Twitter or Facebook and get your dose of Geeks and Beats anytime at geeksandbeats.com. The Geeks and Beats podcast would like to thank the National Science Foundation.